the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. It is time to open up the big old bag of mail. Uh, first of all, thank you so much to some of your Oklahoma Drill draft responses. We got them on Twitter. We got them uh, in the mailbag. And uh, we'll we'll hit on at least one of them, but I, we're glad that you were engaged by it. Reminder, we will run the Oklahoma Drill Draft back a little bit later in the offseason with a specific focus on the 2021 college football landscape. Uh, I, I don't know if y'all saw it in there, but the, did, the running back room all time was uh, inundated. And, and I'm not specifically pulling this one, but like Derrick Henry got to be great at the Oklahoma Drill, right? I mean, that was, that was one where he said, uh, the, I believe the comment was like, he won a Heisman for trucking people, you know, getting the ball 35 times a game. I, I thought that was pretty good. So that will, we appreciate all of the response. We're very glad that you enjoyed it. Um, again, uh, as we get into, uh, this, this big old bag of mail, it's going to be a little bit more wide ranging topics outside of that, but thank you uh, for your responses to that. Before we do so, want to get into a few headlines, uh, the first of which is that the Kansas job appears to be uh, appears to be close to wrapping up. Um, you know, the Kansas coaching search uh, reportedly it's starting to narrow. Our own Dennis Dodd starts to, you know, come in and be able to confirm a report from ESPN's Adam Rittenberg that the four finalists are Lance Leipold from Buffalo, Jeff Monken from Army, Skip Holtz from Louisiana Tech, and defensive coordinator Mike Elko at Texas A&M. Further reporting has indicated that Elko is likely to stay in College Station, and Dennis Dodd says that Leipold and Munkin are uh, the front runners there. So as, as we look at this Kansas job search coming to an end, you know, these names are all ones that we've mentioned as soon as Les Miles was dismissed, so they do not come as surprises. Uh, we haven't gotten a chance to really follow this beat by beat, as there's you know been a lot of other stuff going on. But do you has has your opinion changed at all as you've had more time to think about it? And you know, are are you starting to envision what uh, the next era of Kansas football looks like? I I think a lot of there's been some indication in the last 24 hours that it's looking like it's going to be Munkin. I don't know how reliable it is, but there's been some people who seem to think that's going to be the case. Um, I think that all things considered being Kansas, being the, you know, the way that miles was let go, being the timing, I feel like being down to Leipold and Munkin is probably the absolute best case scenario for Kansas, because I think they would, both be good hires now i know that i've talked and i've written and i've 
you know, proselytized about how badly I think Kansas should run the option. And so therefore I'm kind of leaning towards Munkin in there, but even if Munkin comes, I don't think he's going to be running the same offense he was running at army. I, I think it's going to be more, you know, like there's going to be passing involved, but it's still going to be the option kind of not all that different from what we see at coastal Carolina, but I think that would be a great hire. And I think that <clears throat> Lance Leipold, like we, we talked about this originally, I thought that this Kansas job would be very appealing to him because like the reason he, I remember reading when he took the Buffalo job, one of the reasons he was so interested in that, in that gig was that it was kind of like a blank slate for the most part, where he was going to have the chance to come in and just completely build the program. And I think that Kansas is the closest you can get to a power five program that is an absolute blank slate and you can come in and you can have your way and you could build the program. So I think whether it's Leipold or Munkin, if I'm a Kansas fan who cares about football, I'm happy with either one. I think both would be really good hires. Um, I I know Richard Johnson, I I think reported that uh, Lance Leipold has the same agent as Pat Fitzgerald and the new Kansas AD has some pretty serious ties to Pat Fitzgerald. So I think you'd probably have to assume that there's some sort of endorsement there. Um, not reporting that, but just connecting the dots here in my head. I, I agree with Tom in that like Munkin is probably more unique offense than, than what Leipold runs, but I, Lance Leipold is so proven, right? Like not only has he done a, a really nice job at Buffalo, he's also just a guy that wins a lot of football games wherever he goes with his system. I think it's more than just an offensive system. I think it's a, it's a cultural system, right? Like he, he instills a belief in, in his players and they get absolute buy-in from everybody in that program. They do a nice job in player evaluation. I, I don't have very high hopes for the Kansas program. I, I mean, I, I think that getting to a bowl game is, should be celebrated as a huge accomplishment there. Anytime it happens, but I think these guys could take them to a bowl game. That's awesome if you're Kansas. I think these are what you would consider home run hires. I mean, I don't like to throw around that term, but whoever they land on, considering it's Kansas, considering the mess that this program has been, I think these are coaches that were in the running for some other top tier, you know, to, uh, jobs, the power five. And if they're willing to take on this risk and this unknown and this challenge, that's huge. I think it's huge. I mean, we were, we were speculating like, you know, well, Illinois, like some yeah. of these were candidates for Illinois and Illinois is a markedly better job than Kansas. Yep. So I appreciate you saying that. I, is it? Yes. Yes. Illinois is, is definitely a better job than Kansas. I don't know. Kansas was 12 and one in 2007. Hey, Illinois went to a Rose bowl in 2007. Like Illinois is like a bottom 10 job in in, in the power five. Yeah. They're not like like, a bottom three job. This is not that great of a debate. I mean, it's like, (laughs) that should be, we should do a whole show. Kansas Kansas or or Illinois. Illinois. (laughs) We should, but I think all those things considered, like I think I think they'd be if as a Kansas fan, you should be thrilled. Give them the blank slate that they want. I mean, I don't think there's any expectations from Kansas fans or former players. So I'd probably like to see a little bit more towards the Munkin hire. Nothing against Leipold. I just want to see the triple option in the power five and see what they could do in the big big 12, which is used to air raid and aerial attacks all over the place, give them something totally different. And I think that could work. 
Yeah, see, that's that's. I don't think Munkin will do that if he gets the job. I think they'll change it up. But I would. My dream scenario is him just coming to Kansas and literally running the same exact offense he ran. Right. It's the perfect oh, yeah, place okay. to do it, right? Yeah, because I mean, the, the the number one reason why ads don't hire triple option guys, I guess there's two reasons. Number one, people think it's boring, which okay, when it's bad, it, it is pretty boring. But when it's good, it's you know kind of exciting. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Number two is that you are admitting that you have a cap on what your program can be. You know you cannot win the national championship running the triple option in modern day because you can't get enough guys and because we know passing is so efficient now and people actually pass the ball in high school, so it's not that hard to get dudes who can throw. But at Kansas, not not winning a conference, not really competing for the conference title, not competing for a national title, that sh- that, that sort of handicap shouldn't be an impediment because you're not going to do it anyway. Like Nick Saban wouldn't win the Big 12 at Kansas. I don't think he would sniff it. That's just not a job you can get players at. I know guys who have coached at Kansas and they're like, yeah, man, I'm back at a CUSA school. I'm back at a Sunbelt school now. Like Our players are better here than, than what I can get at Kansas. Could he? Do something different. I mean, could he? <laughs> you think Nick Saban would win the Big 12 at Kansas? Could Hugh Freeze win the Big 12? Hey, could Give him time. Did he win Give the Big 10 at Michigan years. State? <laughs> no, he did not. Did he, win, did he win anything with the Dolphins? No. No, no like, he did not. He's awesome at maximizing resources and getting absolute best out of really elite players. He's not going to have elite players at Kansas. But that's where I think – that's where I would maybe push back on you, where he is now and where he's regarded as the greatest coach of all time. If Dion can get a four-star player to go to Jackson State – But why is Dion getting those four get stars? For? Is he um, getting those four stars because, like, those kids didn't qualify in some cases? Probably, yeah. but I think Saban. 100%. But I think Saban would steal some recruits because he's Nick Saban. I think he uh, definitely so that, would uh, in the first class or two. We got some good podcast ideas for June and July with <laughs> these topics down. we're throwing out there. <laughs> but I, I do think that Saban would probably improve recruiting. I think in the last, first couple of classes, just because of the excitement of it, he would probably land a couple big ones. But unless he started winning right away, I don't think he'd be able to maintain it. Yeah, I'm not going to put this on the best sheet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get into the big old bag of mail, a uh, couple of news headlines. We've got Ole Miss offensive line coach Randy Clements dismissed just a few days after the spring game. Now, I only mentioned the spring game not because I'm trying to connect it to performance because Lane Kiffin's own comments, he wasn't really concerned or looking for anything. He, he just gave the classic head coach line, we just want to get out of here healthy. It was only one season for Clements as the Ole Miss offensive line coach. He was also the run game coordinator, and this was an Ole Miss offense that was uh, very, very productive. And so a little bit strange. We don't always see those, you know, one and done type showings, especially when there's nothing from the results that might indicate that something was wrong. A couple of things might come up. It might be a, you know, a personality thing. It might be uh, something else, but I, I, Bud, you brought this to our attention, you know, just saying like, it's just a little bit strange. And so I, I wonder, is there any, like, uh, is there any smoke on the recruiting trail or is, is there any indication of, you know, what what might have led to this? You know, uh, maybe elaborate a little bit more on sort of like Randy Clemens. I know he had ba- he had Baylor and Florida State on his uh, previous resume. What's the you know what what is the takeaway and what are we to surmise by uh, by this news coming again at the end of spring practice? Uh, the the timing struck me as pretty odd. Randy Clements is re- really well respected everywhere he's coached. He's had excellent results, be they you know top line results or you know, improvement over the prior season type results. He also 
is one of the guys who the folks who run that Baylor system, like Jeff Levy there at Ole Miss. I, I know it's Lane Kiffin's offense, but you don't bring in Jeff Levy to you know just sort of do nothing. Like you, you have a lot of that Baylor style offense influence the, the Bryles offense, if you will. Th- those guys really want Clements bad. I mean, I, I remember the, the huge weight FSU had when Kendall Bryles uh, came to FSU to be their OC for that one year under Willie Taggart, and they, they waited out Houston, basically playing a game of chicken to see. Uh, if uh, if Houston was going to release uh, re- release Clements from his deal, so they wouldn't have to buy him out, like he's very well respected. The timing of this is weird. The sort of vagueness of Kiffin's statement, not that you'd really expect a coach to say, "Yeah, we fired him for these exact reasons," but you don't typically fire your your, your offensive line coach who's well respected in the game a couple days after spring practice. Like, makes me wonder what's up. Let's recklessly speculate then. <laughs> I don't, I don't wanted, have any. I don't he have wanted any. the Rebels to play defense more, and Lane was like, "No." <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the timing of it's weird. All of it's weird. There's something. Well, it's behind. Ole Miss, which makes me right. be like, I mean, I mean, is that is that too recklessly speculative to be like, huh? So, uh, so what? So what do you do? Huh? Right? So it's like so. So what they uh, are they getting ahead of something right here? Like you know, I I don't know. I'm I'm just. Uh, it was very very strange, and it's interesting to look at because as you mentioned that you know, that that Ole Miss offense was very much. Uh, it's, everything seemed to be working and moving in the right direction so far. Is is he a good recruiter? Is he? Because no. Maybe- He's, oh. Well, okay, he's not a great recruiter. Like, so maybe okay, I'm not saying he's a bad recruiter, but he's definitely not a dynamic personality on the trail. So maybe that's why. Maybe Lane wanted to. Maybe he's not a dynamic could... personality in the coaching room. That's possible. You yeah. know, like I like who knows? Who not knows? Sexy enough for Lane? But like, staff. that's why you hire him is the coaching. I mean, like, mm-hmm. like the, the job Clements does, everybody seems to think really highly of it, except for maybe Lane Kiffin. In the college sports world, we got uh, some news as NCAA president Mark Emmert will be receiving an extension. It has led to uh, an interesting response across the entire take sphere. You know, the NCAA with the NCAA tournament uh, seemed to come under uh, a lot of scrutiny with the women's tournament and the inequities with the men's tournament. The way the NCAA has the Alston case, which we have discussed here on the Cover Three podcast, and has moved into uh, you know the the at least presumed result where the NCAA might not be able to get its way, and there could be some fallout from there. The way that the NCAA has handled or not handled name, image, and likeness, and I think I. I'm going to present this because I don't want to editorialize at the beginning of the conversation, but were you surprised that Mark Emmert got extended? And if you were not, are you surprised at the response? No and no. Okay. So it's, I am, maybe I'm the naive one here. I'm surprised he got extended. I thought there was more, by unanimous Rumblings. vote, by the way, unanimous vote. Of course, every vote right. is unanimous. Zero, but. Right, right. Uh, unanimous vote. Keep him up there. I was surprised because of the the momentum and the kind of public scrutiny in the national scale that the women's debacle, you know, took over. I mean, that was a national storyline. It mm-hmm. wasn't just 
college sports world. It was on GMA. It was on everywhere. Danny, they had my Muppet looking face on CBS news talking about the women's tournament inequities. I mean, they said, right. you know what? We, someone called chip chip can explain this right now. There are, you know, I don't know. Everyone, it feels like that's a sports writer now wants to give their political takes, but there were several major bigger voices on the scene that said it was time for him to go. Like he needs to be fired. I thought there might've been enough heat to have something to that behind it. So maybe I bought into the emotion of that situation. I, I, I think he gets a lot of criticism, but maybe that's why it was the unanimous vote because he takes on the criticism and nobody else does. Yeah, so exactly. Let me, let me ask. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me ask you guys a question. We know who Mark Emmert is. Name anybody else who works at the NCAA. Oh, I know $2 million. Dollars, you'd be anonymous too. <laughs> but that's, that's my point. Like if you ask the general public or the people like the only person that they know who works at the NCAA is Mark Emmert because Mark Emmert is standing out front as a human meat shield for everything that the NCAA does wrong, taking all the slings and arrows. So of course they're going to keep him around. It's the same reason Roger Goodell's never getting fired. It's the same reason most commissions, it's their job is to get yelled at by everybody for everything that they do wrong. And I'm not defending him. I'm not defending the NCAA, but I am not, I was not surprised in the least he was extended. <laughs> he does an excellent job at what they want him to do. When they had the, the inequities in the women's tournament, they, 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 they slow played it probably a little bit too much, but then they're like, oh, we'll have an investigation into this. And I saw some, you know, some hubbub on Twitter. How do you extend Mark Emmert before the investigation's even over? They don't really care about that investigation. It's a non-revenue sport. They don't make money on women's basketball. They, they, they did their PR. Hey, we're going to investigate this. And we're going to look into these inequities, blah, blah, blah. But Mark Emmert, nice job. You, you, you keep the money train rolling for us here at the, you know, with, with the NCAA. I think there are some things that, that people are reporting that are probably legitimate issues with Emmert. But there's probably not big-time changes coming to the NCAA for another two to three years anyway. And so why don't you keep him as your scapegoat, well-paid scapegoat, for – the next two to three years. And then when those NCAA changes come, if they do, then you can start fresh as opposed to looking like kind of more of a clown show organization. All right, we got rid of that problem. We got a new guy. Oh, now we got to fire him too, because really we're still making the same decisions for at least the next probably 36 months. Uh, now we got to get somebody else new in. So just have him keep catching, you know, catching the arrows and cashing the checks. Like I'm not really surprised at this. I don't know. I think some of this outrage is performative. Not that I so, think these, not the quotes are fake. I don't think their quotes or reporters are getting are fake. The anonymous report, like the anonymous quotes from athletic directors and, you know, the frustration, you think those are real? I think they're real. Like, I think they really said them. Do I think the ADs really believe it? No. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're kind of, kind of full of it. Well, they don't powerless. want to come out and say, or think they about realize what they would have to say. it doesn't really affect them. Yeah. Like, what are they going <laughs> to say? Hey, man. Uh, all right, my love quote him. is, uh, <laughs> I love that we uh, extended Mark Emmert because that if we didn't, then people might realize that my president's actually the one making these decisions. He's a university president who does, former university president who does the bidding of university presidents. I wouldn't expect, I mean, how many athletic directors have an awesome relationship with the university president? Isn't that tension that exists at every single campus across the country? I mean, Obviously, there are examples where they're in line, and a lot of times that's where they have a lot of success when you're able to get everything in line and everybody on the same page. But he does, uh, like, I don't know uh, a long list of people who work at the NCAA, but I did look at the uh, the names of the people who voted on this extension, 
And like NC State President Randy Woodson was on there. I mean, it was you know, a long list of university presidents and Grant Hill um, as a special advisor on this one. But like, I just, I, I expect him to make university president type decisions. And, uh, and, and I do, don't expect athletic directors to always be happy about that. So you're always going to be able to find an athletic director who's going to be able to offer some critique because uh, university presidents often stand in the way of athletic directors getting their way of how they want things to be handled. I also, I, I agree with you. I don't know if it's performative, but I think in a way it's almost Pavlovian at this point. Like when the doorbell rings, my dog barks. When the NCAA does anything, Twitter barks. Mm. I like that. The NFL draft has arrived and the pick six podcast is your audio outlet for immediate reactions for picks from Trevor Lawrence all the way to Mr. Irrelevant. Want to know how your team fared? Each night of the draft, the Pick 6 crew will analyze all selections, dishing out winners and losers and team-by-team grades. Follow the Pick 6 podcast wherever you find this one. Coming up on the other side, diving into the big old bag of mail, which will be hitting on. How things might change, uh, particularly as we look at those 24-7 sports recruiting rankings and the commit lists. Once the dead period ends, uh, a callback to Range, one of Barton Simmons' favorite books, and the idea of specialization uh, with a shout-out to our own Danny Cannell, and the value of the running back position. All that next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It's Kentucky Derby Week, and Sportsline has you covered. Don't lay a wager before visiting Sportsline.com for the best racing analysis from legendary handicappers. Hammer and Hank Goldberg has the inside scoop from Bob Baffert, Jody Demling, and has nailed nine Oaks Derby doubles. Horse racing guru Gene Menez will be on the Early Edge podcast dishing out his picks and getting you up to speed on how to bet the first leg of the Triple Crown. Sportsline has you covered for everything related to Saturday's Run for the Roses. All right, into the big old bag of mail. This question comes from um, R... Nags 75. Nags head. We're just going to call him Nags head. Uh, fellas, love the pod. Best non-team specific pod on the market. Reminder, you can find plenty of team specific pods through the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network. Uh, Danny and Bud were the perfect additions. You ready for this, Danny? One of, my, one of my lifetime achievements 
was working Danny to a 3-2 count in high school before he hit a ball I don't think ever landed. <laughs> do, you th- do you think that minus the big dogs, school commit lists look drastically different after visits opened up? I've watched a couple early commits bail from my Knowles. Is that pretty common when kids start getting noticed? Keep up the great work. Hmm. It is. Uh, it is common when, when kids start to get noticed. Uh, for instance, FSU had a commit from you know Fort Lauderdale Dillard High School in, in Nigel Lake Kelly uh, back when he was rated like outside the top 600. Now he's on the verge of being in the top 100 in the country. And unsurprisingly, some other programs that won more than three games last year are now also interested. So he went ahead and backed off his commitment. He's still considering the Knowles and, and the staff still feels like they're, they're in it for him. Uh, but the competition has, has picked up. The other thing that is picking up is visits. We know that kids are going to start taking a lot of visits on June 1st, and we are about to see just how many kids are committed basically just to reserve a spot in case the NCAA craziness with, with the visit ban you know, continued, right? And I think a, a decent number of players probably did do that. They just Their coach told them, hey, go ahead and commit so that you have a spot. Um, you know, we'll put some pressure on the school not to drop you. You're just really – it's like a dinner reservation. It's not something you have to keep at this point. Schools drop kids kids drop schools. Uh, but we are going to see a lot of decommitments, in my opinion, from these kids that have never visited anywhere. There's a lot of players who are committed to schools they've never seen in person. And their inputs via taking visits are going to change. And so I think their commitment statuses will, will change along with it. Which I think is totally normal, natural <laughs> reaction to have. Like, I, I, I mean, again, if you've never met somebody in person, I know Zoom meetings and we get on camera, FaceTime, we can talk phone calls, you can do all that. You might get a totally different vibe in person. So I totally get it. And I don't think you should be alarmed if it's your school they're leaving from or, you know, I, I just think I don't think you should read too much into it at all. By the way, I was 10 times better as a baseball player in high school than I was in football. I was thinking, so what league or conference, like what, what school might've, uh, I, I mean, I guess it could have been, I mean, were you, were you also playing like an AAU or like a travel ball type league? I played too? big league baseball, which was kind of like the evolution after little league. I, it's not as popular. It was when I was playing, I played in the big league world series, not the little league world series, but they used to host it in South Florida. So I actually got, I had a grand slam against Taiwan. Like we played against the far East, like just like the little league, except it was the big league world series at Floyd Hill stadium. And those are some of my best baseball memories out there. So, yeah, that was primarily what I played. Legion ball was big. Uh, so that was always an opportunity. Now it's so it, it's changed so much. There's these travel ball and travel teams that take place. I don't even know what they call them, but I know they're year-round, and I definitely do not love that. Did, uh, did you play Babe Ruth, Danny? I did not. I did not. We, we made it to the finals of the Babe Ruth World Series. Nice. So that was, love it. And then the team from Ready, Mississippi crushed us. So the that that could have been like it might not have just been like a high school rival. He said in it high pro- school, but right. it probably was so high school. I played tiny, tiny high school. Like we were, I played varsity in eighth grade. It was one of the advantages of going to a small school. You could play up and play, you know, because it's K through twelve. You're all together. Uh, so that was awesome. Yeah, but I played at a tiny high school. 
Danny, how often or how rare was it for you to go to a 3-2 count then? Like, do you remember this at bat? <laughs> I don't. I don't recall. I don't know when it was. I mean, I, I'm sure there were more than Just one 3-2 count. When you've hit like 500 dingers, you can't remember. <laughs> yeah. once, right? That's the answer I should have given. Thank you, Tom. So this is, uh, I mean, one, one of the reasons I was excited about this pair is this next question um, sort of pivots right into that. This question from Purdue Fan 86 best CFB pot around wondering if the cover three book club will be making a return. I know Barton's recommendation of range from a few off seasons ago Uh, in the book, they mention how people who specialize later in life tend to be more successful, hoping to get Danny's thoughts as he mentioned recently, not starting football until later. And then, but then going on to have a very sick six starting, excuse me, goodness gracious. Uh, hoping to get Danny's thoughts, as he mentioned recently, not starting football until later than most and going on to have a very successful career. Would also like to hear if Bud has noticed any trends in recruits listed as athletes who don't specialize until later. Keep up the great work. I love it. I, this is one of my pet peeves. One of my kind of, if I, if there was a subject that I'm passionate about, it would be multi-sport athletes. I don't like the trend that we're going. I'll be curious to see what Bud has to say about this in the recruiting ranks, like if he's seeing a difference because there's definitely more opportunity to play year-round than there ever was before. There's more pressure to play year-round than ever before. But I would say, like, I, I think too much of it is put on parents trying to generate a scholarship. And they feel that pressure. And so they're going to have, hey, and, they, and then those emotions get played from sports-specific coaches, quarterback gurus, positional gurus, workout gurus. Like everyone's in there to make a buck. So they're saying, hey, your, your kid, you, you can't have your kid miss this seven-on-seven league. Like what if he misses out on an opportunity? So I would always lean towards – like, and, and this is my, I have girls, so it's a little bit different, but I even see it, but my, my oldest daughter's a golfer and she's 13, but I've had her play volleyball, basketball, soccer. She plays beach volleyball. Now we're starting to narrow it down, but she kind of stopped liking some of the other sports. So now she does golf and she does beach volleyball, but then with her school team, she still plays basketball. Like, so it's starting to narrow down, but I, I'm, I think it creates burnout. If you focus on one sport too soon, um, I think there's an, an absolute benefit to developing other skill sets that are not included in your sport that you want to excel in. I think it's good to get a refresher, a breather from that sport. And I, every single, because I, 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 again, I ask everybody I interview, like in a setting where I can, you know, if I'm at the Super Bowl week, I love asking guys off, cam- off camera, like when we're there with CBS Sports HQ, like, hey, what'd you do in high school? Almost every professional athlete will tell you I played everything growing up I played every and and a lot of times it's in high school too now I do think there becomes a time and I do think it's more specialized that you do have to narrow it down but I'm a big fan of playing as many sports as you can for as long as you can in fact I wish there were more I wish professional sports leagues would allow it to happen more because I think we'd see some opportunities for greatness that we just don't get because there's money involved and they won't let them try another sport. Danny, I, I think you totally nailed it there. I mean, we we literally have a column in our ranking spreadsheet for other sport. 
we look at that. We know that schools really like that. We, we want you to run track, to play basketball, to play baseball. I mean, I was just with Andrew Ivins at, at this camp in Orlando the other day, and this, this kid was tracking balls over his shoulder really well. And, and he said, I, I bet you that kid played center field at some point, right? Like we, it absolutely helps you to play multiple sports. I, I also think that look how often we see guys who only played like one or two years of high school football going to a major program like a Bama or a Georgia or Ohio State or USC. I have never had a high school coach or excuse me, a college coach say, but I wish this kid played some popcorn or football. I mm. wish this kid played more travel ball ever. They don't give a damn. They want height, weight, speed, passion, right? And projectability. That's what they're looking for. They don't really care. Oh, this kid's technique is so amazing. Like that's a bonus. That's what the college coaches are there for is to teach you that stuff. They want the measurables and, and the raw material. I, I was on the phone last night on, on FaceTime with, with, with my son and my mom. My wife was sitting there and she was, my mom was saying, I just you enjoy this time so much because he's, he's turning two next month. And, uh, and my mom said, don't ever get into travel ball. She said, look, if he's good enough, don't worry about it. They'll, they'll, they'll find him. She goes, take summer vacations. She goes, I wish we would not have played all-stars every summer. She's like, I wish we would have played all-stars the year, you know, that, that, that buddy could have gone to, you know, little league world series, like for the you know, Williamsport and you know, my sister could have gone in that one year, but like play other sports, don't specialize. And I, I don't know, I'm sure I'm going to get travel ball parents all mad at me, but I got a guy I know in the state of Florida he texted me yesterday and he's divorced and his, his kids are going to be a junior this, this fall. And he's asking me, he's like, Hey man, my wife's saying like, if we hooked up with his coach, I might be able to get a scholarship. And I was like, he's your height. Right. And he's like, and he's shorter than me. I was like, man, the scholarship's going to come from you. Cause he's going to be a walk on. And then they're going to be hitting you up to donate if he wants to keep his walk on spot and have you drive other kids up, you know, from, from Jacksonville. <laughs> To, to wherever you know wherever it's recruiting him dude like you you know it this is don't don't trick yourself so yeah do you have, play mo- do you have any uh statistics on it because i remember there was a stat that was going around with urban meyer why he was the head coach at ohio state and i saw it somewhere i had to try to find it but out of his 85 scholarship players there was some astronomical portion of them i think it was like 75 percent had played three sports in high school you know, 20% had played two sports and 5% had played one sport and that sport being football. Like he, and it, I don't know if it was, and, and the, the kind of the, the leaning of the opinion was Urban Meyer looks for more multi-sport athletes, but I think most coaches do. I think they like to see somebody well-rounded. And I think you hit something there that, and this is the harsh reality for a lot of parents that they may not want to hear this because they think they can create a scholarship if you work towards it, while they might be able to, most of it is God-given natural abilities. Like you either kind of have it or you don't. Now you could be on the cusp and you could get there, but I don't know if it's going to make that much of a difference by just specializing. And I think there would be more benefits to playing a different sport and or different sports, plural, and developing some other skill sets alongside of those. So off the top of my head, I don't have hard data on exactly how many you know first rounders played multiple sports. I know from looking at the potential first rounders for a piece I'm working on, a whole lot of them did. The kids who outperformed their recruiting ranking, I, I have like seven or eight buckets that I put them in, and one of those buckets is football, not primary sport, right? Like or or, or position change. So they were doing different things that they. Danny, the other reason why this really shines through is that. Okay, 
if you're able to play multiple sports, it probably means that you have athleticism and greater unlocked potential when you do finally decide to specialize in college. Mm-hmm. If you're just playing high school football, how much better are you going to get? Now, maybe you'll have a late growth spurt. Maybe you will get a lot better. Maybe you're playing high school football and you're poorly coached and you're super raw and you have a lot of room to improve. But the dude who's out there balling on, on Friday nights on in, in football and then he's also dunking and robbing home runs and running track, that guy's not specializing yet and he's really good. And if you're a college coach, you light up. You're saying, man, look at this kid. He hasn't even specialized yet. Think about what we can do once we finally do get him to specialize in college. Tom, you played both baseball and football in high school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played uh, baseball, football, and basketball before high school, and then football and baseball in high school. Yeah, we identified uh, very little. Uh, we, we identified my God-given talents elsewhere uh, pretty early on. You know, by the time I got to high school, we was like, okay, um, we're just going to use the muscle in your noggin. That's all. That's all we got right here. That's that's. It's not working out as uh, as well. You know the you get you get cut from enough basketball tryouts. You're like, okay, you know what? It. Uh, I, I don't think there's enough sports movies that uh, that have a spot for me right here. Do we want book recs? Yeah. <clears throat> all right, I got three books that I finished recently. One is The Splendid in the Vile, a saga of Churchill family and defiance during the Blitz. It's by Eric Larson. It's the same guy who did Devil in the White City in those books. It's just about pretty much London during the Blitz in World War II. Uh, There's another one that I thought was really interesting. It's The Spy and the Traitor, the greatest espionage story of the Cold War. It is about a KGB officer who defects and begins working for the British MI6. And it's just, it's a really interesting and it's a true story i mean it's all you know real people and then the third one is a novel that is a novel but it's not really fiction it's it's called missionaries it is by phil clay it is pretty much about columbia and the american military and a whole bunch of things that go on and are going on and have been going on it's just it's a very 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 good book i literally just finished it yesterday so the um there's does the the book mention anything about and I'm I'm not going to get the uh, the name of this right but it's like the proximity theory on how you handle trauma the idea that it was like if you were in an area that was being bombed or if you were totally separate from an area you had like a more positive response to the your mood and the way you were handling um, the everyday life but the people who were near areas that were being bombed actually were more traumatized and like more fearful of it because you could see where things were really, really bad. But if you were totally disconnected or if you were right in the middle of it, you just shut it off. You're like, Oh, listen, we just got to get through it right now. And so it's like that, that thing in life where if you're close enough to see something that's really bad, that's happening, even if it's not happening to you, you're going to react. And maybe this was how a lot of people handled COVID where if you knew somebody who got it, you know, you might've been really fearful and you might've had a, a very strong reaction, but if you were like right in the middle of it, or if you were battling it yourself, or if you were totally disconnected and you didn't know anybody who got it, you had a different response to it. I remember the research for that came from world war II London during the blitz. Yeah. It doesn't really go too deep into that. Cause it's the book is mostly pieced together by like, journal and diary entries of like Churchill, his family members, people who worked in the cabinet with him and all that kind of stuff. So it's mostly their perspectives of what's going on. But I would say that, yeah, there's some of that visible or discernible from what you're reading. But I would also say that surprisingly chill. 
considering uh, like it, it, it after like I think it was one of those situations where at first everybody's like, holy crap, they're literally dropping bombs on the city. And then, you know, by about, you know, the eighth month, it's like, oh, yeah, no. There goes another one. Yeah. 5 p.m. <laughs> Everybody get inside. Wild. Anybody else got any book recs before we get on to our last question? Uh, thinking fast and slow. Thinking fast and slow. What's yeah. the What's the premise? Sort of just how to think about things, re- reconsidering things. Uh, you know how how you do your analysis. You know, kind of both personally and in business. It's it's neat. It, it it's it's not a quick read, but it it's it's fun. You know who's well, a voracious reader is our boy Coca, our producer. We were trading back some book ideas due COVID because he was trying to read like a book a week, mm-hmm. and we had some pretty good nerd. ones going back and forth. I know, right? It was, <laughs> but uh, no, he had some good ones back and forth. We'll have to have him hit us up too. All right. This, uh, this last question comes from Ryan. Hey guys, love listening to this podcast all day at work and enjoyed the Oklahoma drill draft with all the stat metrics you guys have thrown out. It seems that running backs are the least valuable position on an offense other than say fullback. I'm curious as to why that is. I know the college game is continuing to move more towards airing it out more and more, but having an explosive running back still seems to be a real game changer. See Najee Harris, Travis Etienne at all. I think that at the college level, having a real game breaker at the running back position is, is more valuable than it is at the NFL level. I don't know if it's that important because a lot of, I think what it comes down to with running backs is if there's a hole there, there are a lot of running backs who can get in the hole. You know what I mean? Like if, if a play goes as designed long as guys have the right size, right speed, and they can, you know, they, they can move. It's, it's a, it's a job that's more easily filled. There's more people that can do it. I don't know why it is, but I think that's just been the case. And I think particularly when you get to the NFL level, like it is clear that the gap between the best running back in the league and the worst starter in the league is usually not nearly worth what the money difference is in being paid. And that's why you see, like, like look at the Chiefs. It was strange. Like, they used a first-round pick on Clyde Edwards-Alaire last year, and then they barely used him because it turned out he wasn't that great. And that's why I think that, like, tonight with the draft, I'm sure when we, we get together on Thursday night to discuss the first round, I'll be shocked if there's more than one running back taken in the first round. I, Yeah, I, I would agree with all that. Um I think that running backs can somewhat control like how explosive they make a play after it is successful, but they really don't have that much control over whether a play is successful in itself, except for maybe one or two times a game, right? Where maybe the offensive line doesn't appropriately block the play and you're having to make somebody miss in the backfield, but like success rate in the run game, like how successful you are down to down is largely your blocking scheme, making the correct checks. I mean, Daniel will know about this. Like you got to, look at how the defense is aligned and check it to, to the right side. If you check it to the wrong side, which occasionally happens, probably more at the college level than the NFL level, uh, the back really can't do much about it for the most part. Now, they do have some control over once once you get through that first line of defense, are you making that final guy miss? And are you taking it to the house? But I, I think the, the the guy from the comment section here or, or the review section with the question was was spot on. They don't run as much anymore. Like the plays aren't as frequent and they're de-emphasized. 
I think in order for me to take a running back in the first round, it would have to be somebody with exceptional eye-popping skills. And I'm not talking about from a running standpoint. I would want somebody who's versatile, like a Christian McCaffrey. Like, I think he was one where you look at it and you're like, all right, he's a Swiss Army knife. He's got explosive speed. He can catch. He can run routes. He can do a lot more. Um, I just was Googling real quick the top five rushers in the NFL this past season. Derrick Henry, second-round pick. Dalvin Cook, second-round pick. Jonathan Taylor, second-round pick. Aaron Jones, fifth-round pick. Like, you could go on and on. And to your point about, you know, and I know the Cowboys weren't very good last year. Zeke missed some time. But, like, an Ezekiel Elliott, who was picked, or a Saquon Barkley, who's been hurt a lot, like, is there that much difference in production in plugging any back – I don't know if there is like, so I would, I would, I hate saying it cause I don't like taking money from people, but I, if I was, if I had a back man, he'd really have to prove his value before I backed up the truck for him and paid him a ton of money. He'd have don't to do think, a lot more than running the football. Danny, don't you think Barkley and, and, and Zeke Elliott will be sort of the examples for don't draft running backs that high and, and don't pay and don't them pay like, like them. crazy. Totally. Like, and how uh, much better Gurley, would the Cowboys Todd be? Todd Gurley's another one. There's, there's a bunch of examples why you should not pay them. Well, the, their durability is is probably the most questionable out of all the positions you might pay. And like, how much better would the Cowboys be if they had taken Jalen Ramsey instead of right. Zeke Elliott? Yep. Anybody could run behind that line. We saw it when Zeke went down, when that line was good. What were you going to say, Tom? I was going to say, right. if, if they take in Ramsey, they might not be taking Pat Sertan tonight. <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> For sure. And by the way, uh, Ryan offered his own Oklahoma drill. Uh, his He is a Clemson fan, and you can tell that because for his linebacker, he picked Isaiah Simmons. His defensive lineman, he picked Fridge Perry and Nick Bosa. For his offensive lineman, he picked Bryant McKinney and Barrett Jones. And for his running back, he picked Derrick Henry. Another another Derrick Henry Oklahoma drill uh, there for you. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Next Monday, we will be back recapping the entire NFL draft. Uh, you know, the sleepers on day three, we like where they landed. The players who we think are going to have a great chance for success based on uh, where they were drafted. The big surprises, you know, where we agree, disagree, all that fun stuff coming at you. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chip. That was a fantastic show today. You did an outstanding job hosting. I don't leave you hanging, man. That, that was just inside that's phenomenal. A little inside <laughs> joke from the comments on some of the Twitter threads. <laughs> oh, man. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.